My name is Craig Jarvis, in case you've forgotten who I am. Uh, I know I've been, I've been missing some Sundays here and there. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here and uh, very blessed to be able to share God's Word with you this morning, uh, which I'm anxious to get into. Uh, but before we do that, I want to give you an update on our giving that we've been working on. This is our 365 project. Uh, we have taken this passage out of an Old Testament passage uh, where the people were bringing gifts into the temple and the elders had to say too much too much stop bringing stuff in because they were just bringing so much uh so so much in so many gifts our goal uh has been to uh make 2019 a year where we'll finish uh well and in order to do that we need to pick up our giving a little bit and so i wanted to we we shared this with you about uh, probably two months ago, and I want to give you just a quick update on that. Everybody has been doing very well, so give yourself a little hand. Good job. Everybody's been very faithful. That's good. Now, uh, we have uh, maintained, so the goal is to give uh, just uh, about 38 to $47, uh, it's actually 47 right now, uh, of uh, over and above your regular giving, and that will help us so that we finish uh, 2019 in the black. That's our goal, that we finish uh, 2019 really, really strong like that. Um, and our, our, um, the overall budget and everything like that, I'll share with you uh, at our Thanksgiving dinner. At, at the Thanksgiving dinner, by the way, we're going to tell you like what's coming up at the end of this year. We've got a couple of big projects we're working on. The tree actually was one of them, but we needed to start this one early because we've got to get the gift cards out by the uh, 12th. Is it the 12th or the... Right. Yeah, the 12th, they're putting together all the boxes, and they're putting our gift cards in these boxes, and they're going out to the homes in Carroll Stream on the 12th. So our last day is the 8th, so we want to get this tree out. So that was a big announcement, but we've got a couple other big ones coming up. You definitely won't want to miss it, and our house can hold all of us, which would be really good. I, told, I talked to Beth, I said, do you think there's too many of us at this point to bring everybody over to our house and, and eat? And uh, she said, absolutely not. So, uh, so that means we're, uh, we're having you all over, and it'll be a lot of fun. We always eat lots of food and, and have a little Thanksgiving together, so that's fun. I'll give you some updates on what's coming up. Also a vision in, uh, for what we're aiming at. Uh, the elders have been uh, talking about what 2020 is going to look like. Can you believe that? 2020. We should be like living on the moon by now, don't you think? <laughs> or at least hovercrafts. Like, uh, anyway, um, what's that? Hover, yeah, we have hoverboards. We're almost there. <laughs> um, but uh, you won't want to miss it, uh, and I'll give you more on the 365. But just to encourage you, keep up the giving. If you haven't done that, if you haven't made giving a part of your regular worship, you are missing out on a big part of your spiritual life. It is not enough to just serve and, 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 and once in a while get involved with some ministries here and there and say, well, that's good, because Jesus said one of the areas of our lives that's hardest to surrender is the area of finances. In fact, he said you can only have one of two masters. You can have God or money. It's interesting that he chose that as our master. And if you're anything like the person next to you, you know exactly what that means because money is such a weighty issue in our lives so many times. Surrender that to the Lord and watch what God does in your life. So I want to encourage you, keep on keeping on and let's finish 2019 strong. Good deal? All right, cool. We are going to talk about one of the worst days of my entire life. March 2nd, 2019. This year, worst day, I will never forget it. It was a Saturday, it was a Friday night and Saturday morning, and I woke up 
with the most incredible pain I've ever had. And I've, I've had like different things done to me before, which are, you know, we don't need to talk about that here. <laughs> but this was worse than all of them. I, w- I woke up, it was about uh, midnight, and I woke up out of my sleep, and I ended up on the floor in a ball. It was a stomach pain right about this area right here, and I didn't know what it was. I thought I had food poisoning, because uh, I'd experienced a little bit of that in the past, but not to this degree. Uh, but this is a pain that, that just tore away at my insides. It was at that time that I, I prayed to God. I, I begged God. I, I literally forced myself to my knees. I got in that prayer position, crossed my fingers, and I was just praying, God, please help this go away. Beth is standing over me. She doesn't know what's going on. Like She's, she's thinking to herself, is the insurance paid up? Yes, okay, we're good to go. <laughs> no, I'm sure she wasn't doing that. She didn't know what to think. I didn't know what to think. And then all of a sudden, the pain started to subside. So I thought to myself, okay, that was bad, but it's probably just food poisoning, so I'll just go back to bed, which I did. Brilliant. So I went back to bed. About 3 o'clock, it happened again twice as bad. At this time, I was on the floor in a ball, and I wasn't praying that God would take it away. I was praying that God would kill me. That's how bad the pain was. I said, Lord, just kill me because I cannot stand this, this, this pain right now, and it would not go away. Somehow I ended up down the stairs and on the couch. I don't know how I got down there. I ended up down the stairs because I know I was on the couch. I was sitting on the edge of the couch because I saw Beth screaming at me, don't pass out, don't pass out. And I, 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 that's what I remember, and that's when the pain started to subside again. At that time, I said, we gotta, we got to go to the emergency room. Now, that's a lot for a guy to admit, don't you think? <laughs> so at 3 in the morning, no less, Right? And uh, so I get in the car, and Beth drives me down, and it comes again. Another wave comes again. And uh, at that point, I was trying to crawl out of the car. Beth locked the door so I wouldn't get out of the car because there was snow on the ground still, and I just wanted to roll around in the snow. It was, it was a bad night, all in all. Finally, we got down there. They rolled me in on a... Uh, uh, on a um, no, not on a gurney, on a... Thank you, on a wheelchair. <laughs> Two words, first word. Uh, Rolled me in on a wheelchair, and I'm sitting there, and they come out, and they see me. They don't know, they don't know what's wrong with me, and so I, I go inside the emergency room, and they, they, they give me something or other, and they just said, yeah, you got the flu. That's what you, you just got the flu. So I went, uh, I went back, and, and uh, I was misdiagnosed for two weeks with the flu. I went in twice for IVs because I had lost so much fluid. I ate one spoonful of soup a day. Uh, during that time period, and, uh, and for, for about a week and a half. And then finally they admitted me into the hospital, and they did a little ultrasound, and they found out I had a, guess what? Uh, you know, I had a bad gallbladder. Yeah, I had a bad gallbladder. And so they said, well, it looks like you, you've got like nothing but uh, you know, milkshake in your gallbladder right now, so uh, we've got to take that sucker out of there. And they said, what do, you, what do you think we should do? I said, take that and whatever else you find in there. You can take it all. So, uh, so I got my gallbladder removed, and, uh, and then I had to, had to uh, recover for about two weeks because it was just so painful. I, I, listen, I've never been so happy to lose a body part my entire life. So my question to you this morning is, now that we've experienced a little bit of my pain, why does God let us go through pain? 
Now, you may not have gallbladder pain. You may not have even physical pain. You may have other kinds of pain. But I know everybody in this room, everybody who's listening right now, has had some kind of pain. And the question that I want to pose to you this morning is, why would a good God let us go through this kind of pain? My pain lasted through the month of March, but I am, I am seriously aware that I'm probably talking to groups or a few people here this morning that have ongoing pain. Uh, it's more than just a month. It's just an ongoing situation that you find yourself in the middle of. Or, or maybe it's fresh, a fresh wound that you've had to experience and had to go through and Or maybe it's something like a pain that you know is going to not go away for a while. It's going to last maybe even a lifetime. I regularly talk to people who endure an incredible amount of pain. And the harsh truth about it is suffering is a regular part of human life. Whether it's emotional or physical, whatever it is, those kinds of wounds take a great deal of energy, power, strength, they take it right out of us. It's almost like we're bled dry. So many different kinds of pains happen, but the question we always come down to is why? Why would a good God allow me to go through pain? So we have only two verses to cover this morning. These two verses are the next two that we land on when, as, during our study in First Peter. We're in First Peter 4. They're the first two verses in the chapter And these two verses, short as they are, are packed full of meaning. So I want to begin this morning just by reading the two verses for you this morning. 1 Peter 4.1 says this, Since therefore, Peter says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. This is a continuing thought that Peter is bringing over. We're jumping into kind of the middle of it, so let me just remind you of what he has just said in the previous chapter. In 1 Peter 3.18, he brought up this idea of suffering before. He said, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous, that's Jesus, for the unrighteous, that's us, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. In other words, Jesus suffered like I suffer. And there was purpose in his pain, just like there's purpose in mine. Now for him, the purpose was to bring us to the Father. He died on the cross, lived a sinless life, suffered and rejected of men, says in the book of Isaiah, prophesied about him 700 years before he was born, said this guy is going to be really abused his entire life. Society is going to look down on him. He's going to be rejected of men, smitten by God, and afflicted. That's all Old Testament stuff. He shows up 700 years after that book is written and lives out the life of pain. In fact, that's why we call him the suffering Savior. Jesus came to suffer, not just on the cross, but that was the climactic moment of a life of suffering. And he did it so that our sins would be forgiven. We know why Jesus had to suffer. He had to suffer and climax the suffering on the cross so that my sins could be forgiven, so that his blood shed, righteous blood shed, would cover, would cast out my sins. Now the difference is, I know why Jesus suffered. I'm not sure sometimes why God allows me to suffer. 
Peter constantly brings us back to keep our eyes on Jesus in this way, reminding us about Jesus' pain. This is how he starts out the verse. 1 Peter 4, verse 1, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. Peter is constantly putting, pushing us back to Christ. He's going to talk to us about this topic of suffering, and he begins by saying, remember, Jesus suffered. So, so the first thing we've got to talk about is, let's just remember what Jesus did. 1 Peter 2.21, again, the chapter before the uh, chapter 3. For this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you. What does it say there, church? Why did Jesus suffer? He did so because he was leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Now, I was going to begin this morning by saying, usually I say, it is so great. You're here on such a good Sunday. It's an awesome Sunday. But I have to tell you this morning, it was everything in me because I wanted to stand up here and say, you have picked a really bad Sunday to be here. <laughs> because we are going to be talking about this topic of suffering. Christ, keep your eyes on Jesus in this particular situation because he suffered like you're going to suffer. He left you an example so you can figure out how to suffer well. That's painful, isn't it? Peter is combining this theme of submission that is interwoven through the entire book of 1 Peter, and now he combines it with the sub-theme of suffering. And the bottom line is, if you submit like you should to your boss, to your spouse, to your neighbor, to your, if you submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, which is what we're supposed to do, sometimes, maybe even most of the time, you might go through a bit of suffering. Especially when your spouse or your boss or your authorities or your government makes bad decisions. And yet Peter says, submit. Submit to God and submit to one another. Jesus went through a painful life submitting to God's sovereign leadership and we are supposed to follow Jesus' example in our submission as well. And Christ suffered in the flesh because of this submission. To submit means to suffer. There's a few scenes out of the Bible I can't get out of my skull. I think about them every once in a while, and I think I would have loved to have been there just because I can talk about it, but I would have loved to have been there just to experience it. And one of them is when Jesus stooped down to wash the feet of Judas. That I would have paid to see. Because I can't fathom that. Jesus, who knows everything, who knows what Judas is about to do, betray him so that he would suffer more than any human ever has suffered. Not only the brokenness of dying on the cross, which a lot of humans have done, but this incredible brokenness of his relationship with the Father somehow took place he was denied physical comfort and he was cut off spiritually from the Father in every way Jesus suffered. And before it happens, he washes the feet of the one who would betray him. That I would have liked to have seen. To submit means to suffer. Jesus submits to wash the feet of these disciples who would, by the, by the way, not just Judas would betray him, but the rest would leave him abandon him, and he would be alone. And I want to tell you, if you get into a situation where you submit a thing to God, even if it's a sinful habit, or if it's a, if it's a challenging thing in your life, and you know you've got to give it up, and you give it to God, you are going to suffer. You can pretty much count on it. 
Any step toward righteousness is going to move you into the path of suffering. If you think you can just give up on, spiritual, uh, on sinful habits or worldly thinking in a way that won't cause you to suffer, then you need to hear this reminder from Peter. Uh, I worked with a friend for a while, for years, who struggled with alcohol. And that is a demon that's hard to get rid of. I worked with him, and uh, uh, boy, I, I can tell you story after story about uh, just spending time with him and, and uh, praying with him, praying for him, praying with him. He would get on the wagon. He would fall off the wagon. He knew his life was better without the alcohol. He knew. He had, he had snippets of it. He had these, these one-week coins, these one-month coins, these three-month coins. He went to AA. He tried everything he could to get rid of it, but this thing had its grip on him like few people I had ever known. He knew his life would be better without it. He knew his family would be better without it. But no matter what he did, it was always two steps forward and one step back. And his challenge was he wasn't prepared. He wasn't armed for the battle he was about to face. And so when the suffering got hard on him, when he had to face life without the alcohol, he, he would constantly run back to what that comfort was in the bottle. And for us... We have to be aware, when we take steps toward God for righteousness, it's going to get tough. We're going to suffer. When you surrender to your spouse, and they're not used to it, they may not respond like you expect them to respond. When you surrender to your boss, and he takes advantage of you, makes you do stuff that you, you, you weren't counting on, and you end up you know, kind of sacrificing more than you were planning on, you may have to suffer. But we've got to do something before we jump into this idea of surrendering, like Paul has been talking about, surrendering, submitting to one another, because there's suffering that's going to come. And so this verse he gives us is an amazing verse. In 1 Peter 4, the end of the verse says this, Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Church, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. What he means by that is arm yourselves. <laughs> this is not a passive statement. It's an active statement. If I said to you, the enemy is at the gate, arm yourselves, what would you do? What would you think? What would you think? Get, you find a weapon, right? There's somebody coming in the building. They're not wanting something good to happen to us. They're wanting evil on us. So arm yourselves. You'd probably look for a weapon, right? That's what it means to arm yourselves. Peter intentionally uses these words. He says, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Our inclination when pain comes is to sit back and find sympathy in the pain. Now, Beth would tell you I do this very well as a male human being. Because when pain comes, I like sympathy. Now, I'm probably the only male in this room that feels that way. Women, you, you got it over on us uh, on, on this particular subject, and others like it. But men, you might be like me, where if you're in pain, you want other people to know it so that they can be sympathetic to you. This, however, is a little different. Peter says, arm yourselves. It's a decision we make before the pain arrives. Arm yourselves is what we do right now. Whether you're armed or not, when the pain comes, it will be revealed 
in how you handle it. We arm ourselves before the enemy arrives. To do so afterwards is dangerous. So the pain we endure when we choose to follow God's will can often be can often cause suffering, but the joy in submission is found by accepting God's will, by arming ourselves with the fact that we need our minds to be ready so that when the pain comes, we succeed. There's a lady that, uh, that has been very special in my life. Some of you know her. Her name is Martha. She actually is with the Lord right now. She, uh, at the previous church I was at, she... She and I became friends. Her husband, Matt, and I became friends, good friends. And Martha was unique because Martha was always full of joy. No matter where you saw her, what she was doing, Martha always had a smile on her face. And it's, it's almost to the point where you're just going, seriously, are you on the news all the time? Like, are you on, do you think you're on TV all the time? Because that smile is always on her face. That's the thing about the newscasters. You know, a plane fell and uh, 53 people died and uh, it was a terrible thing. And, and uh, now let's talk about the kids that we're supporting. And, and you know, their, their, their faces changed me. Martha, she was, she was just constantly full of joy from the inside out. Now, the other thing you should know about Martha is she had a terrible, terrible situation with cancer. And she was constantly losing it. And she was constantly going through uh, treatments and, and all the stuff that she had to go through. But when you saw Martha, you'll never know it. The joy of the Lord was her strength. When I think about people who suffer well, I think of people like Martha. I need the picture in my brain. And I think about people like that. And you might have had people like that in your own life when you, when you think about suffering well. For her, her joy was constant. It wasn't contrived and everyone could see it on her face. You would never know it. You'd never know she was in distress. And, and, and I, I loved her because of her constant submission to God. She was always willing to do stuff for other people. <laughs> so listen, church, here's the thing. God will use suffering to enable our ability to surrender every part of our lives to God and to others. God is going to use suffering to enable us to be all we can be. That's why he says, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. The irony is, Peter's writing this. And when the guards came to take Peter, do you remember what Peter did? He armed himself. He found a sword, he armed himself, and he started swinging. And he didn't knock off the guard's head, he knocked off his ear. Do you remember that? If you, if you ever read this, it's really interesting. Peter is a phenomenal, well, he's not really phenomenal at anything, and he's definitely not a phenomenal swordsman, but he definitely is the first one to step out and take a swing. He armed himself physically. Now, Peter, the same guy is saying, arm yourselves in your thinking. Not physically, but in your thinking, because we wage war in our minds. To arm ourselves with the will to submit to what God has for us is to prepare our minds for when pain arrives, even when it's hard, even when you have to submit to somebody who may not be right, even when you submit to somebody and you're in emotional or physical pain brought, brought out by you, or maybe you're even in a painful situation because of the decision somebody else has made. 
whatever your situation is and whatever suffering you're going through, Peter writes to us and says, arm yourselves by planning this out. Even Jesus submitted to the decision of the high priest to condemn and crucify him as a heretic. Jesus even submitted to the point of death. The only way this is possible, this is a high, this is, this is why you shouldn't come to church on Sunday. Because you're going to hear messages just like this. And it's Peter saying, look to Jesus, be like that. And for us, the thing is, we go through suffering and we think to ourselves, there's lots of ways to go through this. And really, church, there's only one. The only way to go through suffering is to look to Jesus, to follow his example, and to be prepared beforehand because suffering will come. It always does. And so the point is this, trust God. Trusting God in suffering, that is God's will. God will not allow his children to endure purposeless suffering. You have to trust him for that. God will not allow his children to endure purposeless suffering. So keep your eyes on Jesus, like he did on the greater prize. It reminds me of Hebrews 12. This is where my mind keeps going in this, in this passage the whole way through. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. That is the strangest phrase in Scripture. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, because that is not joyful. The joy that Jesus found to endure the cross was you. The joy that Jesus found to endure the cross was me. He knew that if he went to the cross and suffered the ultimate sacrifice of any person in human history, we could be saved. And that was his joy. We may experience suffering that's not our fault. We may experience suffering that's because of our own stupidity. But we have to remember simply this. Trusting God in our suffering is God's will. God never wakes up some morning and goes, oh, Craig lost his gallbladder. I didn't see that coming. Trusting God in suffering is God's will. This is how we use our freedom. We choose to submit even when it's going to bring us a bit of suffering. The first person we submit to is God, and then the next is each other. For this is the will of God, 1 Peter 2. Peter writes that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. In other words, you're free. Christ's blood has set you free. So use your freedom to live well. Live good. And here's how you do it. Submit. Submit. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. We already touched on this a couple of months ago. In our freedom, we choose to submit. Rebecca reminded me of this. Be subject to authority as long as it doesn't change your identity. I don't submit to my elders because my elders told me to submit. I submit to my elders because God told me to submit. Same with my boss, my spouse. My ability to submit to God is played out in how I submit to one another. Does that bring suffering? Yeah, sometimes it does. I even submit when it results in painful situations. But God has put these folks in charge of me and in charge over me, and he makes no mistakes 
So I trust Him. And in my freedom, I choose to submit. The promise is this, leaning into physical suffering will make me cease from sinning. I know. Let this rock your world. Read on. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has what, church? What does it say up there? If you suffer in the flesh, you what? Are you telling me the more I suffer, the less I sin? That seems to be what it says there, right? So if you suffer a lot, you're less of a sinner. Not necessarily. Because there's a lot of people who are not very nice in this world who have gone through a good deal of suffering and do not care about God at all. The difference is this. When we suffer, we suffer for doing good. In other words, we suffer because we know God's plan has it in His plan that I should suffer now. And if it's in God's will that I should suffer, I will submit to God's will and go through suffering well. And when I do that, that makes me very sinless. Because submission is the hardest thing to do. And when we suffer, it's even harder. This is when God takes you through a rough spot in life. And you say, God, not my will, but yours be done. Yeah, you will cease from sinning. Not all suffering is equal. Suffering by non-Christians without the Spirit. There's no spiritual fruit that can come from that. Or suffering because of dumb decisions we make. No spiritual fruit will come because of that. I make a dumb decision and I end up suffering. This is a list of four kinds of suffering that we have. Uh, if, if, I'm, if I suffer by, if I'm a non-Christian without the Spirit, I, I, there's no spiritual fruit. I, I'm not submitting to God at all. Number two, if anyone suffers because of their dumb decisions, no spiritual fruit can come from that. Uh, unless you surrender that to the Lord, then yeah, you can. Number three, spirit, suffering by Christians who resist the Spirit, no spiritual fruit can come from that. But number four, suffering by Christians who submit to the Spirit, much fruit can come for that. So the answer to all of this is simply this. It's not when, when we submit to God in our suffering, our biggest question is not, why am I suffering? My biggest question is what? What does God have me going through this for? What is God going to use the suffering in my life to do? Not why, but what? That is our, that's how we arm our minds. We're preparing ourselves before the suffering hits. Arm ourselves. And don't be surprised when a fiery trial comes, because it will. Peter is just repeating what Jesus already told him. Jesus said, Peter, in this life you'll have suffering. And church, I'm here to tell you nothing you don't know. In this life, you'll have suffering. So arm yourselves. Arm yourselves to go through suffering well. Jesus said it this way in John 12, 25, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates this life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He's not saying that you need to hate your life. What he's saying is, if your whole life is about making it as comfortable as you can for yourself, because you love this life, you lose. But if your goal is about pleasing God so that he, appreci- he commends you in the life to come, you win. It's easy to say we believe in the sovereignty of God, but we need to arm ourselves when this crouches into our lives in this area of suffering. God allows, permits, or ordains suffering in our lives, but suffering is never purposeless. 
So the big question is, can you lean into it and not fight him over it? We sell suffering badly in the church. We, we say you, your life needs to be healthy, wealthy, and you can even go to churches where they tell you you should have a big car and a nice big house and a you know, family that always you know, sings kumbaya around the dinner table. When we do that as a church, we do not arm our people well. We don't. And then when we, say, when we see suffering coming, we blame them for a lack of faith. That is so wrong. The health and wealth gospel is straight from the pit of hell. Because I venture to say that there are a lot of people in the Bible that I look up to and I kind of want to live like, and almost every one of them has suffered incredibly. What do we tell a wife that's about to lose her husband because cancer is eating away at his body? We tell him just to have more faith? That's not fair. That's not right. And it's not loving. We need to be crystal clear when we dip into Romans 28, 8, 28. When we say that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose, we better have a crystal clear understanding what that means. Because what it means is not that it works together for my good. What it means is it works together for his good. All things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Why? Because my whole life, church, my whole life needs to be, a, be about doing the will of God. And if that means suffering comes in, I've got to suffer well. Suffering is a weapon of the fallen world that can tear your heart away from God the fastest. Or it can cause you to run to him in the strongest belief that all things work together for his good and our benefit. Because if I believe that all things work together for his good, and I believe he's a good God, I know ultimately it works together for my good and for my benefit. And so we lean into what God has for us in our, in our lives. It comes down to believing that God is good, and he has good planned in our suffering. And then it brings us to verse 2. That's just verse 1. So as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And there you have it. What is the goal of my suffering? The will of God. That is the goal of my suffering. If I lose another gobbladder, <laughs> you only get one. But if, I, if, you know, if you lose a gobbladder tonight, oh. we go through suffering by arming ourselves beforehand and saying all things work together for God because God's will is our best. So we arm ourselves by asking, our, asking the right question. Not why, but what. What will God do with the suffering he brings our way? By the way, this is also people's biggest objection to faith. They always object this way. I don't know if you've noticed this, but if God is a good God, why would he allow? Yeah, bring in the blank, but it always has to do with suffering. Hurricanes, tornadoes, my dad to die, whatever it is. There's something that goes in that blank. If God is so good, why would he allow blank? It's an excuse that people find to reject a good God that they take advantage of so often in life. The fact of the matter is, God is good all the time. How can I say that? Because I've armed myself. I've armed myself with that way of thinking. So that if my appendix goes next, God is good all the time. There is always a reason. This is the submissive part. There's always a reason. 
I accept what God is doing, and now what will I do with it? This is no longer living for human passions, but living for the will of God. I don't make my life about comfort and fulfilling every passion I can get in this life. I make my life about getting the will of God done in my life and in my circles. Paul put it this way, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is arming my mind beforehand. So your suffering may yet to come, or you may be going through it now, or you may be reminded of something that even happened this year. We may lose friends for our decision to follow Christ. We may lose health. We may lose income because we take a stand for Jesus. You may lose a lot more than the person sitting next to you. But remember the words of our Lord. Whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. So what? Number one, you will suffer, so arm yourselves. <laughs> this is the big thing. Give pain a purpose. And it's not, everybody just should write me cards and nobody came to visit me when I was in the hospital and somebody better bring me a meal and, or they don't love me and I don't love them. Give pain a purpose. What is God doing through this suffering he's allowing or ordaining in your life. Trusting God in suffering, that is God's will. Jesus said it this way, take up your cross and follow me. Number two, suffering leads to sanctification. Apparently, the better I suffer, the less I sin. So lean into it. My willingness to submit to the truth that God's good is my best is how I first begin to arm myself in my mind with the right way of thinking. Not my physical ability to withstand suffering, but in my mind's ability to desire God's will over my own comfort. Seeing God's will done in my life is the goal of my life. Submit to the fact that God will use you in your suffering to have his will done in your life. Your suffering actually is the tool that God can use, and sometimes it's the best tool. Remember, Martha? Sometimes it's the best tool so that God's love can be seen through you in powerful ways. And number three, our readiness for suffering determines our level of faithfulness in suffering. Our readiness for suffering determines our level of faithfulness in suffering. Asking God why is not the sin. You can ask God why he's allowing it. That's not a sin. Demanding God be put on trial, that's the sin. That's when we say, God, I want you down here for a second because I want to tell you how much I don't deserve what you're allowing in my life right now. Reminds me of Job. You remember Job in the Old Testament? Job was the victim of a betting match between God and Satan. <laughs> you hate hearing that, don't you? But at the beginning of the book, Job was an amazing, righteous person. Satan shows up and says, Job's only serving you because you're good to him. Romans 8.28, you make all things work together for this guy. That's not the only reason he's serving you. He's rich. He's got a lot of land. He's got a wife that loves him. He's got kids. He's got, every, he's got cattle galore. Of course he's going to serve you. And God says, okay. You can take everything away from him, but don't touch his health. And so Satan does, takes everything away. Whirlwind comes through, takes away the house, wipes out the kids. Kids are all dead. 
the, the, the cattle's gone. They had marauders come through. They stole everything that he had. Guys come to, it's, just, it's a bad day for Job. One thing right after another. Oh, your house? Yeah, it's gone. Then a group of people come in. Oh, yeah, your kids were in the house. They're gone too. Oh, that's another group of people come in. They say, yeah, yeah, yeah. We just had uh, everything you had in the field. It got stolen. It's all gone. And Job is taking it all. And out of all of it, he doesn't sin. He says, God gives and God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So you're going, yeah, Job is faithful. No wonder God was bragging on him. And then Satan shows up and he says, God, the only reason he's not cursing your name right now is because you still give him his health. So God says, okay, you can take his health. Don't kill him. So Satan takes away his health. Oh, man. You want to see the ravages of Satan on a body? Takes away his health so that he's left in a pile outside of the city because he was unclean. People were afraid of him. His face and body were so disfigured, he grew these lumps all over him where you could barely look at him. There was a, they were afraid they were going to catch something or whatever he had. He, the only thing he could find in his life was he broke jars so that he could take the clay and scrape the boils off of his flesh. He was miserable. Everybody knew it. His friend showed up. His wife showed up. His wife said, just listen, Job, this is enough. We've lost everything. The insurance money is gone already. Just curse God and die. Let's get it over with. And Job says, no, I'm not going to do it. His friend showed up. He said, Job, you got something wrong in your life. There's something, there's something you're not confessing. God's taking it out in you. Get it. Get it. Let's just get it over with. Confess. There's nothing. I, I can't think of a thing. The book is a tragedy for one man. Job was certain that God was up to something amazing, even when he was suffering so badly. By the end of the, the book, there are three chapters in this, in this book in the Old Testament, right before the book of Psalms, that scream about the sovereignty of God. God just comes to Job and he says, Job, you need to know who I am. And Job said, I just need a minute to ask you, God, why are you letting this happen to me? I'm a good guy. And God comes to him and he says, okay, let's, let's do a little trial scene. I'll go first. And then he says to Job, where were you when I called the winds? And where were you when I, when I made the earth? And where were you when, when the lightning comes? And does it say to you, we're ready? Where do you want us to strike? Where, where, were, where are you in all of this? And he puts Job in his place as a little human being, talking to a great big God. And Job says, okay, I've had enough. I understand I'm not demanding anything from you. I'm curious to know why this is happening, but you're not going to give me an answer, and I'm okay with that. And God says, no, 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 one more time. And then for another two chapters, he just lays into Job, talking about his sovereignty. In the book of Psalms, it says, God is in heaven and we are on the earth, so let our words be few. This is the hardest thing, because when suffering happens, we want an answer. And the, the answer is, you may not get an answer. You may not ever get an answer in this life. You may not ever know why you're going through what you go through. But this is where faith grows. Because this is when we look at God and say, God, you're doing something. I don't know what it is, but I trust you. The more I suffer, the more godly I become. Not really. The more I suffer, the more opportunity I have to subject myself to God's will. That's what makes me holy. 
I don't know why I lost my gallbladder. And here's the thing. If the only reason I lost my gallbladder and prayed to God to kill me that day was to give you a heck of a great illustration to start this message today, (laughs) I'm okay with that. I'm all right with that. But I hope it's more than that, you know? I may not know why I go through, and that's a silly thing. I may not know why I go through any suffering in my life, and maybe you won't either. But the way we arm ourselves is we decide that God does always what is right and good, and I get to ride his coattails. Remember, the right question is not why, but what. What does God want to use my suffering for? So church, I would tell you, trust God in your suffering. When you do suffer, and you will, change your question from why to what. What will God use my suffering for? And I'm sure in some way, you may not ever know, but I'm sure in some way, it is for His glory and your good. So church, what does God want to accomplish through your suffering that He is allowing, ordaining, or permitting in your life right now? Let's pray. So Father, we come to the end of a very difficult subject. Books have been written on this subject. Why do the good suffer? Why would a good God allow suffering? And we may not ever get the answers that we want, that we, that we run after. For some people, that's enough to keep them away from you because they've determined that their ideas are better than yours. And you must not know what you're doing or be out of control or asleep at the wheel. But Lord, not us. Your children know that you are a good and loving God. We know that you have purpose in all that you do. And we know that you have purpose even when it comes to the ways we suffer in this life. And so, Father, I pray that we would suffer with purpose, giving our pain a purpose, understanding that trusting you in suffering is doing the will of God. And so, Father, while I would pray that you would keep suffering away from all of us, my bigger prayer is that we would learn from this morning, be reminded that in our suffering, you can be great. So be great. And whatever you need to do in our lives to make yourself greater, we surrender. We submit to. We trust you. We love you. And we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.